Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. If you're taking notes, this is, a, this is the first of our new series, which we've entitled 50 Shades of Black and White. We're going to be talking about relationships over the next few weeks. Um, and for this message, you can call this message. Stay with me. Don't walk out of the service, no matter where you are, especially you Whangarei people. I know you're religious. Um, uh, you can call this message, Heaven Isn't Real. Heaven Isn't Real. John chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Another next passage is in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Turn over with me there. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a couple of pages over. In verse 27, Jesus said, I know it's Jesus because it's in red. It says, you heard, have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, one more passage of Scripture, and it's from the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. If you get to a concordance, you've gone too far. Come back a little bit. Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. Here's our crucial verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You know, one of the greatest trends today has got to be reality television. I mean, it is just sweeping the world. I mean, it's, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's something of a pandemic. You've now got your own reality t television YouTube channels. We've got reality television shows. We've got The Biggest Loser. We've got The Makeover. We've got Idol. We've got stars in our eyes. I mean, I don't know. We've got Dancing with the Stars. I find that just absolutely horrible to watch. It's like embarrassment dressed up as a television show. Uh, we've got The Kardashians. Apparently, that's all real. Um, not that I've ever watched it. But anyway, you know, we, we've got it. And, and our whole world has been swept up in this amazing trend called reality television. The people are real, 
The scenes are supposedly real. The stories are real. And our culture has not just fallen in love with reality television. We have fallen in love with the real. We want to be regaled with stories, but no longer stories of heroism or, you know, grand uh, adventure or of amazing principal behavior. We want to hear all the juicy details about somebody's flawed existence. We want to be involved in the real. We're all about the real. Real renovations, uh, real courts of law, uh, real people losing weight, real bachelors, and we're all into... The real. I mean, you know, it's a, now it's like a, a comment. How was it? Oh, it was so real. In fact, I was listening to Talkback Radio the other night, as you do, um, and they were talking about they were talking about the Blair Witch Project and about how this horror movie came out uh, that I haven't seen. But uh, you know, they're saying that the reason why it was just so captivating was because it was all shot to make it look exceptionally real. And whilst real isn't bad, our motive behind why we love it can be. Because we love real, we love real television and real life stories because we can see what somebody else is going through and oftentimes feel a whole lot better about who we are in light of the phenomenal dysfunction that we're seeing in somebody else. I mean, we long to look at somebody else's life and realize that we're not as dysfunctional as they are, that they're stuffing up their life in a greater way than I am, that they're blurring the lines between right and wrong in a way that I would never do it. And we love real because it can make us feel a whole lot better about ourselves. Is this not true? But the problem, guys, with real is that if we focus on being real and keeping it real and making it real, then if we're not careful, we start to water the standards down. We start to measure what's acceptable or what's allowable by how other people behave rather than by a set of standards that are inspirational and challenging. We start to make it all about, well, you know, so-and-so is doing it and everybody else is involved in it and it's all right there and we see it normalized on a television show and we just start thinking, well, if everybody else is doing it, then maybe I better do it. And the problem with real is it doesn't really lift a society up. In fact, I think we could argue very strongly that it pulls a society down. I mean, those of us who are parents are quickly gonna run into this trap. I mean, I, uh, my mother likes to remind me that when I was growing up, I, I'm one of four, and she likes to remind me that I, in fact, dad as well, that I needed the same amount of discipline as the other three kids in our family combined. And so when I come up against a strong-willed personality in my child, I'm tempted if I'm not careful to go, ah, oh, there he is with that strong will. He's just like his dad. Or People do this in a whole lot of areas. I mean, they're, they're, they're late, they're ill-disciplined, they're disrespectful. But you know, when I was young, I was just like that. And if we're not careful, we start raising our children based on the flawed state of our own lives rather than realizing that God never asked you to replicate your dysfunction in another generation. God asked you to raise a child for Him and for His glory. And the goal of parenting is not to reproduce another layer of our own crazy. It's to make a child 
that is as close to the image of Christ as possible. The goal is not real, the goal is ideal. And when we start thinking about life, I think it's very important that we don't just limit our lives to real because if we're not careful, we talk about commitment and relationships and marriage, but but when someone is unfaithful to a marriage or walks away from a committed relationship or neglects a principle or sleeps with somebody they shouldn't be, if we're not careful, we just accept a whole lot of stuff as being real and not realizing that there has got to be more to life than that. I believe that in life there are absolutes. I think that there are principled decisions. I believe in integrity. Anybody with me? I mean, you've only got to travel to a part of the world where integrity is not a fundamental value, and it's throughout many parts of the world, integrity is not valued. And you start to realize that nobody can get ahead unless unless everybody buys in that your word is your bond. I believe in definite. And as a society, we have allowed ourselves to drift a lot further away from this thought that there are ideals, that there are blacks and there are whites, that there are lines that you cross. And when you cross them, you cross them Uh, to not only your own moral peril, but also to the detriment of other people that are around you. And if we're not careful, we walk away from a thought that there are blacks and there are whites, and we just start living like everything is in the realm of gray. 50 shades of black and white or 50 shades of gray. I mean, all the time when I've been preparing for this, I've been remembering a song that's from an age ago. It must be 10 years old, 15 years old, by an an artist called Travis. I don't know if anyone who's old to remember him, but, you know, he used to sing and they go, you know, there is no wrong, there is no right, there is no black, there is no white, the circle only has one side. And if we're not careful... We start living like there isn't an absolute, there isn't a real right, there isn't a real wrong, and we're all just awash in a big sea of gray. I mean, we were, we were driving the other day in the car, myself and, and Lara, and Lara's now 11 and has an iPod touch, and she's sitting up in the boost balcony, so respect to the boosters this morning. Um, but, you know, we're, we're listening to a song in, in, in the car, and, and this guy is singing, and he's a gifted singer, and he's singing, I was a man who never lied, never lied until today, and, and uh, didn't want to break your heart. And, uh, da, 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 da. and he said, he's just singing about, I used to live a principled life. I mean, I used to really value it. And then he's going on, he's saying, you know, in the same song, he's talking about there was a dream that it was forever. And he's basically saying, hey, you know what? I kind of started off thinking that there are real rights and real wrongs and that marriage is forever. But I'm kind of saying now, I I realize that it didn't quite work out for me. And I reckon it's never been easier in any moment of our modern history anyway, to just say we're all just living somewhere in the real, in the gray, than it is perhaps today. The challenge for us, I guess, is whether this is good. I mean, because the maxim, if it's all gray, quickly becomes, if it feels good, just do it. I mean, if it's going to please you, then go for it. I mean, if if it's enjoyable for you, and then we kind of add to that this vague notion that if it's not going to hurt anybody else, 
It's really hard to find anything you want to do that, that people can legitimately be willing to say it will hurt somebody else. But we're all lost in this great, you know? You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, you know? Let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And if we're not careful, we start living in a whole bunch of gray and it starts to touch our communities, it starts to touch our lives, and it might even just start touching the people that are hearing this message up and down New Zealand and perhaps around the world this morning because we start thinking that we're all in the sea of gray. The problem, guys, is that it flies in the face of our Christian faith. If Christianity espouses anything, it espouses blacks and whites. We are a faith of moral absolutes. We believe in, in, because of the Bible, that there are some things that are good and there are some things that are bad, some things that are right, and there are some things that are just plain wrong. There is a measuring stick. There is a way of determining things. We believe in absolutes, and absolutes are essentially ideals. Ideals. Ideals are powerful because when ideals begin to captivate a person, it begins to lift that life to believe that I'm making a choice and it isn't just around personal preference and it's not just around what makes me feel good or even is going to be the best thing for me, but an ideal lifts me to shoot for something that is going to be best for everyone, for everybody. Um, you know, when it comes to ideals, uh, if there is an ideal, then there's also behavior that is less than ideal. And that's really the problem, isn't it? Because I think it's just the lowest confrontational approach you can take with life and society to just say, oh, no, 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 everybody's okay. We're all fine. You know, but if you've got ideals, if you've got rights and wrongs, then somebody is right and somebody is wrong. And so we want to avoid that. We want to, we want to make it all just nice and fuzzy and let's all just tolerate one another and coexist and everything is going to be okay. But maybe it's not going to be okay. Maybe if we, if we don't, allow ourselves to have a conversation about what's right. Or put it another way, if we, if we, if we walk away from ideals and we stop, we stop considering what's best, what's best, what's best in this situation, what's, what's the most principled reaction, what, what, is the, what is the creme de la creme of responses, what what's the ideal reaction to this situation, then I think we end up living lives where we've watered everything down to a search for happiness, reacting to stimulus and circumstances, and we all just start deciding in the moment what we're going to do based around this overarching thought that whatever makes you happy, do it. If it makes you happy, it can be that bad. My singing certainly can. <laughs> and this is, I guess, where Christianity comes up against a rub with modern culture because we believe that there is a place in all of the universe that is ideal. We believe in a destination that is ideal. 
And the reason why I called this message Heaven Isn't Real is because heaven is not real in the way I've spent the last few minutes describing it. Heaven isn't real. Heaven is the only place in all the universe that is truly ideal. I mean, we read out as our last verse this morning about heaven in Revelation 21.4 that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You'll have no reason ever to cry. When you get to heaven, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No one is gonna harm you. Nothing is gonna hurt you. There will be no uh, animosity, no bitterness, no greed, no jealousy, no harm, no, no, nobody acting out of their own selfish desires. Heaven has no lust, no pride, no selfishness. Heaven is an absolutely perfect and ideal place. And the more like heaven we aim to be in this life, then the more of heaven we know in this life. And the reason why Christianity is such a challenging concept is because we believe that happiness is not just discovered by permissively pursuing what we want to pursue in life, but by living as closely as we can to a set of values that are personified in heaven and brought to earth through Jesus. That's the way to a great life. Come on, if you believe it, no matter where you are, come on, Fangare, I can feel your love this morning. Come on, the more like Jesus we can be in this life, then the more of heaven we can know in our lives. See, when we think about heaven, we think about this perfect place that God has created for you and I. And people say, John, if, I, if God is real, why is this world full of so much pain? And the reality is that it's not God's fault. Sin at work in this world is what causes all our suffering and harm. And heaven is the place where sin is removed and real is no longer. And instead of real, we have ideal. Nobody's ever going to make a choice based out of their own personal preference. They're going to make it based on the will of God freely at work within their lives. That's what makes heaven heaven. And when we think about Jesus, what's so powerful about our Savior is that Jesus came out of heaven to this earth. God became man, dwelt among us. And in John 1 verse 14, we discover that He is full of grace and truth. And then it says in John 1 verse 17, it says that, he came, that from Him we got grace and we got truth and they are found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what's so powerful. I want you to stay with me for the next couple of minutes. But we've got in Jesus grace, grace that covers all our imperfections because our imperfections are what make us real and not ideal. What we celebrate when we look at somebody else, when we see their screwed up life in comparison to ours, is we think that our imperfections are less and somehow we are better. How many people know it doesn't work like that when you stop looking at reality TV or the person sitting next to you and you start looking in the face of Jesus? 
But when we look in the face of Jesus, we find not judgment, but grace. Grace that covers our imperfections. Grace that was willing to pay the ultimate price. Grace that made a way where there was no way. But we don't only find in Jesus grace, we also find in Jesus truth. I mean, when Jesus came, He not only brought grace, man, and changed the world in doing it, He came and He really took truth and ratcheted it up to a whole nother level. I mean, Matthew 5, 27, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Think that's easy? Well, how about this one? If you look at a woman lustfully and think, whoa, then the moment you do that, you've already committed adultery. He's saying, I didn't come to kind of make things a little bit more vague. I came to reveal truth. And he also lived on this planet and personified truth in his daily living actions, reactions, responses, stimulus. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we are and remained without sin. Now that is pretty ideal and pretty confrontational. And my friends, it's a package. When we discover Jesus, we also not only discover the one who revealed perfection, we then find the Jesus who paid the price for my and for your imperfection. He is grace and He is truth. If we don't acknowledge truth, then we don't discover grace. And this is the reality of this life. And this is why I wanna start this series with this message entitled, Heaven Isn't Real, because if we are unwilling to acknowledge truth, to acknowledge ideal, if we stop coming to Jesus as being the moral standard, then not only do we fail to acknowledge truth, but we miss out on grace. Because I don't know about you, but every time I come closer to God, the first thing that happens is I feel terrible. Come on, man, you, I mean, you're in the middle of some worshipful environment, you're in some moment, you read the Bible. I mean, the end of the story is amazing because you discover the love of God in a higher level. That's what conviction does, right? But if you've been journeying with Jesus for any period of time, or maybe you're just in a service this morning somewhere in New Zealand and you're discovering Jesus right now, then you could even be in the middle of this moment where you just feel incredibly aware of how much not like Him you are. But then the next thing that happens is that He comes to our lives and because of His death on the cross, because of the price that He paid, His grace covers my imperfections. And man, isn't that the most changing thing that can happen to a life? Isn't that the most motivational thing that can ever take place? It is an awakening to a God who is out there, who loves us, who is powerful, who made a way with, He's not only holy, He's loving. He's not only perfect, He died for me. And that, my friends, awakens my life to discover the truth of who He is. And the guess the challenge is that making things real sounds good, but it doesn't reveal Jesus. And the reason why I think coming back to black and white is so crucial is not because I want to make anybody else feel bad. It's 
because I want everybody to find Jesus. Because the more clearly we can communicate to a world that Jesus is the one who makes a way for us, then the more people can know grace. So because if we're not careful, you know, we've entitled this, this message series uh, 50 Shades of Black and White because life is either about nothing really wrong and nothing really right or it's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus in His truth. Jesus in His grace. See, the more we discover about God, then, about Jesus, then, then we discover more about His truth and we are convicted. But the more we discover of His grace, the more we are empowered. We're convicted first and then we're empowered. We're, in, we're inspired and then we're equipped. And if there is no Jesus, then what do we got? And I get the gray, because if there is no God, then at the end of the day, there's no way out of this dysfunction, so we might as well stop making everybody feel so bad for our levels of dysfunction. But if there is a God, then He not only revealed His standard, but he, and He paid the price for it, then we can find a way through dysfunction and not just replicate more rubbish, but we can lead our lives towards an ideal state. Bring it back to where I said before, the more of heaven you get in you, the more of heaven you know around you. And we can lead lives that are truly gonna make a difference for God. And I believe that we're coming to a time when Christians need to be willing to be awakened and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. We've got to get back on the side of the ledger where we've got our views in front of our society saying we're not, we're not trying to tell them that everybody's bad. We're trying to say there's only one who is good and we need Him in our lives. Come on. If you believe it, can you give God some praise this morning? Um, uh, if we don't lift up the truth of Jesus, then we don't live in His grace. That's the challenge. It's black and it's white. And yeah, if truth is without grace, then it leads to condemnation and shame. And if grace is without truth, then it leads to really to nothing because you don't appreciate what you don't see the price, the value of. So it's got to be put into one package. And now we start to really understand what the New Testament's saying because it's like Him we preach. Him we declare. We lift up the name of Jesus. We put His name above our door, His banner above our hearts, His anthem in our spirit. It's Him that we worship. It's Him that we adore. It's Him we seek to emulate because Jesus is grace and truth. And when we find Him, we can find a way through all the chaos. See, I believe that there are blacks and whites. I believe that there are ideals. That's becoming controversial. But I believe that there are ideal patterns for life. I believe that Marriage is supposed to be between one man to one woman for the whole of your life without ever anybody coming in. I believe that that is the center of not just a stable family, but is the bedrock of a healthy and prosperous community and nation. And I believe that. I believe that children 
are most blessed when they get to live in that kind of environment. I do. If, if mom and dad love each other and live together forever and they get old and wrinkly still holding hands, then I believe their children are blessed to live in that environment. I believe it. I believe that sex is only for marriage. I believe that. I believe in virginity. I believe that sex is not just uh, for entertainment. I believe it's a covenantial act. I believe that. And, and the danger becomes that we, we kind of want to retreat from that because it feels like when we start putting it out there that even the thousands of people hearing me this morning who haven't been able to live up to that Pleasantville experience start saying, well, you know, are you trying to say that I'm anything less? No, no, I'm saying that for the more truth we discover, the more we are awakened to grace, because the truth is, it doesn't matter whether you've been wrecked and abused and messed up and come from all kind of chaos, the grace of God touches us right at the point of our dysfunction, and He starts to work the most amazing things, and there's no shame, and there's no guilt, there's love that covers, there's grace that empowers, there's a promise that gets awakened, and God always makes a way. But my friends, what God is looking for is a group of people that are going to just declare His truth and live by His grace. See, so what, what's the key to great relationships? As we start off the series, and you know, we're going to get more practical. In fact, here in Wellington, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be some interesting stories told about me tonight. I'm preparing myself for the treadmarks to do, to do as I go under the bus this evening, but, but Jillian's gonna talk about 10 hot tips for dating or something like 10, 10 top tips. We were all trying to say it in the pre-service meeting and decided that that was a verbal landmine. <laughs> 10 top tips for dating. That, that, you gotta say that right or you're in trouble. And we're gonna break the series down and get a little bit more practical, but if we're gonna start with the key, what is the key? Is there a key to relationships, to marriage, to life? I believe there is. Aim for Jesus. If you want your relationships to be great, if you want your family to be blessed, if you want to live in an amazing community as prosperous as our New Zealand society is, if you want your future to be assured, then wake up every day and pray. This day, make me more like Jesus. This day, let my reactions be increasingly the reactions of Christ. Let the principles that I live my life be this day conformed to who Jesus is. Don't let me live for myself. Don't let me live you know, out of regret or shame. Don't let me live out of my own pride or my own self-want. Let me live like Jesus would live. Let me love God and let me love people. And that's the way we can have great relationships. When we're hurt, we forgive. When we're tempted, we resist. When we're lonely, we pray. When we're convicted, we repent. When we wrong someone, we seek forgiveness. But we live like Jesus lived. That's the way that this thing works. He is the black and white. He's the ideal. Come on, if you believe that, can you give God some praise? The band are gonna come join me. Come on. 
I want to finish this morning with a story that I've told at a bunch of people's weddings, and um, I've definitely mentioned it from the pulpit and summarized services before, but it's probably my favorite story when it comes to relationships, and it's a story about Billy Graham being interviewed on television, and it fits this message so well. It's in in the 80s, and he's being interviewed on Australian television, which is obviously just ruthless for a Christian. And as he's being interviewed on television, um, the reporter says to him, you know, what about these, you know, mega ministries, you know, in America that have fallen? And, and you know, is, is all of that, you know, taken, you know, resources and stuff, is that right? And he's like, no, that's wrong. And, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they're, what about adultery? And, and it's like, no, 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 what, what they've done is wrong. And as they're talking away in this interview, the reporter is pushing Billy Graham and it comes to the question of divorce. And Billy Graham says, I believe that divorce is wrong. It's on worldwide television. Well, you can imagine that even in the 80s, this was already a very strong thing. And so the reporter says to him, what do you mean to tell me, Billy Graham? Do you mean to tell me? If you wake up tomorrow morning and you're out of love with your wife, that God's will is that you remain in a loveless marriage for the rest of your life. Are you trying to tell me that a God of love wants you and I to live in a miserable marriage for the rest of our lives rather than choosing what will make us happy? I mean, he's going on and on and on. And finally he pauses. And Billy Graham, I think led by the Holy Spirit, looks at the reporter and he says, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm out of love with my wife, then I'm getting out of bed only to fall on my knees. And I'm not leaving my knees in prayer until I am in love with her. And that is it. Isn't that it? Isn't that what we're talking about? Not the God, not the God who imposes impossible standards on us. Not the God of shame or guilt, but the God of grace. The God whose empowerment can help us with all of our dysfunction. The one whose love covers us when we don't know what to do. The God who steps in and gives us the strength we need to live the right kind of life for Him. And I believe, I believe in a God of grace. I believe in a God of love. And hey, I want you to know that we're all in this room, in every room this morning, with measure different forms of the same dysfunction. Yet, a holy God paid a price for our flaws and faults, shame and guilt, and He made a way where there is no way. And what I love about that Billy Graham story is that it connects it right back to Jesus. And this morning, I'd love to finish this message by praying for people in in every Arise campus this morning who are part of this service. And you're saying, John, I realized today that in my life, I've started to let my standard become more about 
well, they do it, and they do it. And Christianity is not actually supposed to be designed, uh, imposed societally. It's supposed to be lived personally. And the biggest thing that we can do to make a difference in our community is to live more like Jesus. And so in our lives, we recognize that there's some room to change. And I'm probably going to put my own hand up and get included in the prayer that I'm going to pray for me. (laughs) Then I think we should commit to that. That we should just stop the stupid nonsense that if we all just get more real, that the world's going to get better and become more like Him. He made the world. I reckon He knows the best way to live in it. Who's with me? Come on, you close your eyes, bow your heads this morning in every campus. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are truth and grace. Your grace and truth. There's a lot of people here in this message this morning who are saying, John, in my life this morning, I recognize that I need to refocus my life on being like Jesus. If that's you, my friend, no matter where you are in the country, Whangarei, Hamilton, Carpety, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin, at home online, I would love you to take a hand or two hands. Aim for two if you can and lift them up towards heaven as an act of fresh surrender to God. Come Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus to us. Awaken, awaken Christ in us. All the inspiration we need and all the empowerment our souls seek Help us to live lives in line with you. We exalt you this morning, Jesus. Just, you know, the Bible says in your own heart, separate Christ as Lord. We acknowledge you, the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of our lives. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.